we get the smallest percentage of the tax bill of any school district in the region. The Rockford School District gets 52% of the total taxes, and in some of the surrounding regions, that's closer to 70%. There is this belief that is still lingering, that still relates back to the People Who Care lawsuit, that the high taxes in Rockford, that the high tax rate is all the fault of the school district. Tax issue that we've got here is not a school district issue alone, certainly. Hello, welcome to the 205 Vibe podcast, where we discuss topics related to the Rockford Public Schools and the larger Rockford region. I'm your host, Earl Dotson Jr. You know, we often talk about people who serve on boards. Uh, some, some of those are volunteer boards. Sometimes people are appointed. Sometimes they are, there are elected boards. I really have to commend folks who really run as a volunteer and have to go out and get elected, particularly to a school board. And today we're very honored to have such an individual um, who has done that. And uh, very happy to have with us uh, Mr. Tim Rollins, school board member of Subdistrict B. Hello, sir. How you doing? Hi. Thanks, Earl. I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Uh, so, so, Tim, there, not everyone who's listening to this, they don't know who you are. Um, just just a little bit. Just, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm not originally from Rockford. I grew up in a small town about 60 miles south of Rockford and moved here 28 years ago, so I'm a transplant. Um, but I've now lived in Rockford longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life, so I consider Rockford my home at this point, and I think I'll be here probably until I die. Um, I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm with the firm of Williams McCarthy, and I'm a business lawyer. I don't, I don't go to court. I, I mostly uh, write contracts, review contracts, um, help business clients with their transactions, that sort of thing. Um, so you, you've been on the board how long now? About seven and a half years. I was elected in April of 2011 for the first time. 2011 of April for the first time. So back then, you know, during that time, um, you know, I, people, I'm not sure what the climate was in the education world, but during that time, you know, again, you heard me talk about the, the school board being kind of an unpaid and some would say oh, sometimes a thankless job. But what inspired you back then in 2011 to run for the Rockford Public School Board in Subdistrict B? Well, it was a turbulent time in, in education in, um, in Rockford. Um, although I will say that the entire time I've lived in Rockford, I, I moved here in April of 1990, and the People Who Care lawsuit was filed a month after I moved here. Um, so the entire time I've lived in Rockford, the schools have been a subject of conversation in Rockford, and the quality of education has been a subject of, edu- of uh, conversation. So at that time, um, when I made the decision to run in, 2012, in 2010, um, Dr. Sheffield was the superintendent. Um, things were very turbulent. The schools were being re- viewed even more negatively. And I really f- felt like um, there was a need to get a better quality board um, and to get to recruit people to run for the school board. Um, because I really feel like public education is vital for any community. Having a good public school system is absolutely critical for any community to survive. And that the public schools at that point were actually um, sort of dragging Rockford down 
from the standpoint of being competitive, of recruiting people, of being of being able to attract people, and that they weren't doing um, an adequate job of educating the kids that we've got. Now, I'll get to in a moment. Just just we'll talk a little bit in a moment just about since you've been here. You know, how do you what are some of the things you think you you've done well? But before we do, I I, I want to ask you about um, just because I've, I've worked with you now and I know you've been an advocate for. For certain, for certain topics and certain things that you care about that I'm aware of. And one of those things is, I know one of the things that you've always, you've talked about since you've been here in particular is closing the achievement gap, uh, particularly, particularly for African-American students, minority students. Um, I know that's something you've been passionate about and you've tried to address since you've been here. Talk a little bit about why you think that's been challenging and kind of difficult to accomplish. Well, we face some of the same problems that every school district faces. Even though we frame the conversation often in terms of race, it's often more about socioeconomic status rather than race. And, you know, we have um, upper middle class African Americans and middle class African Americans in the school district that are doing very well. But the reality is that um, race gets overlaid over this because many of the African-Americans in this community are living in the deepest poverty and they come from backgrounds that have the most problems and are the most challenging. And so we really need to figure out how to overcome um, those issues. And you know, one of the things that I have tried to talk about when I'm out in the community is that it's a little bit unfair to ask the school district to overcome all of those challenges on its own and by itself. Um, I don't know that there's really any school district in the country that's figured out a way to do that. It's a community issue, and I think the community needs to get involved. And at the same time, I do think that there are things that we could be doing better. Um, so some of this is internal. Some of it is things that I think we could be doing better to help um, overcome that achievement gap or at least to start narrowing the achievement gap. Some of it's community. Um, you know, if the community really wants to close the achievement gap, it, it needs to get involved and help us figure out solutions to some of the things that are going outside of school. Fascinating. Um, you know, that's interesting. So that's just going from there. And so because we, we hear that a lot about, about um, right, it's, it takes, uh, it's more than a school district's uh, job. It's more than a teacher's job. Um, you, talk, you, you talk about the community. So when people ask about how they can help, how do you think specifically the community can help as it relates to that particular issue? You know, this is not a popular opinion, but my personal opinion is that the way to help is to try to change the culture and climate and attitudes towards education. Um, it's not about, to me, it's not about giving people stuff. Um, even children who come from deep poverty, if they have people in their lives who are telling them that education are, is important and that education is the way to, uh, as a pathway to get out of poverty, um, those kids succeed. And my concern is that we do not have enough children um, who are coming out of high poverty backgrounds where someone in their lives, other than outside of the school district, is telling, is sending them that, that message, is giving them the message that education is the way out of poverty and school is important and school is a high priority. I, that, to me, I would like to see the community get involved in sort of changing that attitude 
And that isn't even, even just a race issue. Um, it tends to be a socioeconomic issue. And you also talked about there are things that, you, that the, the school administration, the school district can also do and improve upon uh, to also address that problem. Uh, one of the things, uh, you know, probably the, the one of the more essential uh, people who play a, a critical role in that are the, is the classroom teacher. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on, uh, first I guess I'll ask and just not assume that that's what you mean, but when you say what things we could do better, what, what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> nobody, saw, I, nobody that I'm aware of has solved the problem altogether, but I think there are districts around the country and even some districts within the state that have had better success than we have. And, and what I'd like to see us do is start looking toward those other districts and see what it is that they've been doing differently than what, than what we've been doing. Um, some of it has to do with curriculum, some of it has to do with the way you implement curriculum, some of it has to do with specific programs that are being used. Um, that's, there are some success stories out there, isolated success stories, or at least progress being made, and you know, I'd like to see us do a little better job of investigating other districts that have had some of those success stories and figure out what we can, what we can bring back to Rockford and use here in Rockford. So switching again, just to, to talking about the classroom teacher, um, before, before I talk about specifically things that happen in the classroom, another issue that I know you have been vocal about uh, in terms of uh, um, hiring uh, teachers is uh, the need to hire more minority teachers. That's something that you've been advocating for, for also for quite some time. Uh, tell me again just your thought process behind that. Why is that important to you? And again, do you find that to be challenging? And if so, why? Why? Well, the reason it's important, it really has to do with trust. I don't believe that the color of somebody's skin has to do anything to do with how good of a teacher they are. Um, but we have a race issue. I mean, anybody who thinks we don't have a race issue is, is blind. And it's a trust issue. And so um, there are large portions of the African-American community that, for historical reasons, and, and correctly so probably, don't trust the school district. And I think it would be extremely helpful if we had a more diverse teaching staff. Um, it also, going back to the point that I made before about um, changing culture, changing attitudes, I think it's easier to show the importance of education to African-American kids if they can see um, someone who is African-American, an adult, who has used education to better their lives, and they, that they can see that in their own lives. Um, so th that's why I think it's important. I think it's important because it's going to be, I think it's critical to rebuild trust. I think it is not from a teaching standpoint, but from a, a um, sort of a psychological standpoint that's important to, for minority kids to see role models, adult role models that they may not see outside the schools, um, to see people of color in, in those positions. Um, but there's a lot of headwinds um, to achieving that goal, and we have not been, I, I won't even say we'll be very successful, I, that we haven't been very successful. We, we have been unsuccessful in making any progress on that. Um, I think our rate right now is about 5% African-American teachers. It hasn't really varied since I've been on the board. If anything, it's gone down a uh, tenth or two of a percent. Um, there are a lot of headwinds. Um, African-Americans as a group um, don't go to college as often um, as other groups. 
Um, when they do go to college, disproportionately, they don't go into education. They go into other fields. Um, so uh, the pool of African-American teachers is much smaller than the pool of um, Caucasian teachers. And when they do to go, to go to college, oftentimes they go to colleges in the South. They go to um, what are called historically black colleges and universities, which are almost all in the South. And it's often difficult to recruit them back to someplace like Rockford. We overlay that with um, the fact that it's just difficult to recruit young professionals to Rockford across the board, regardless of their race and regardless of their profession. Um, I hear the same thing from my clients all the time, doctors, engineers, lawyers. Um, we all have trouble recruiting young, particularly young unmarried professionals with no real connection to the Rockford area to come to Rockford uh, because they just don't view it as a, a place where they want to live. Um, so we've got all those headwinds and we have to try to figure out how to overcome those headwinds and, uh, and try to make some progress. Um, you know, I, I will say that making progress doesn't mean that we will probably ever see the, the percentages that we have in the school. And the whole discussion uh, um, that we have is a, is a little bit off because people keep saying that our teachers don't look like our students. And part of that reason for that is our students don't look like our community. So if you, if you look at the percentages by race um, in the Rockford Public School District, um, it's much different than percentage of by race of students in our district. Right now we're about a third, a third, and a third. And um, probably if you look at our, the Rockford Public School District itself, it's more like 15% African-American. And if you look at the area from which we draw teachers, which is our metropolitan statistical area of about 300,000, it may be closer to 12% or 10% African-American. Um, so the pool of adults from which we're drawing teachers does not look anything like our pool, uh, like our student body is is one of our issues. That's fascinating. Um, so 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 take the, taking a step back, uh, just a, one step back, uh, just to just to just to uh, talk a little bit more about that. When we talk about um, those who, who say um, uh, that the parent or the family member is the most important, you know, in terms of educator in a child's life. Uh, when you get to a school or a school district, um, then it's probably the, the classroom teacher who's probably the next most important person when it comes to educating the child. Uh, but yet, you, the role you sit in is as a board member and working closely with the administration. I'm just curious, your, your thoughts on all children, that you know, that third, third, or third, just the importance of family influence and then you know, the role of a classroom teacher. What, what are your thoughts about, you know, that relationship in terms of uh, providing a quality education for our students? Well, <clears throat> the classroom teacher is obviously critical um, for providing quality education. Um, the issue that we've got, though, I think as a community is that the classroom teacher can be important, but the classroom teacher is somebody that the student will see for eight months, for six hours a day, 170 days a year. Um, they spend more time, people, our kids are spending more time with people outside of school than they're spending in, in school. Um, in terms of trying to implement strategies that, that do address um, some of the issues we've talked about, the, the teachers are, are the front line, and they're absolutely critical to that. 
So shifting gears a little bit, uh, one of the things uh, I, I've known you for a while now in terms of some of your uh, some of the things you've done in the past. Uh, I remember when you were a member of the Chamber of Commerce for that board. Uh, for for how long were you a member of that board? <laughs> I think it was. Ooh. I actually don't remember if it was six years or nine years. Six, six or nine years. So it was, it was quite a while. It was a while. And, and they, they've been they've been advocates uh, for for educational change in in Rockford. Um, you know, uh, some of the, some of the things that I know that they were passionate that they advocated for were kind of stability and leadership. You know, they zoned schools, facility upgrades, um, in those particular areas. Uh, how do you think the the district has performed? Well, in those areas, I think we've we've done pretty well. Um, the Chamber of Commerce uh, has shown that they understand um, what I was saying before, which is the a public school district is absolutely critical to the vitality of a community and to the business climate of a community. <clears throat> I mean, they're looking at it from their own self-interest, um, which is fine, which is they need, first off, they need um, employees who can actually perform their jobs. And then secondly, um, they need to recruit people from outside the area to come and, and, and move to Rockford and live in Rockford. And for both of those things, it's really important to have a, a, a public school district where the people feel comfortable with, people think that they can send their kids to and get a quality education. And speaking of that, another, another area, again, that I've, that, you know, I've watched and, and listened to you in terms of the things that are important to you, uh, has been uh, you seem to be a strong advocate for the, the taxpayer and um, you know you know making sure that uh, the looking out for the taxpayers best interest is that a fair statement that you you feel that uh, it's important that we're good stewards of taxpayer dollars and how have you approached that uh, since you your, your time on the board it, it's important that we're good stewards of taxpayer dollars and I see these issues as really all interrelated um, so his, Rockford has, for the past couple of decades, has often had some of the highest tax rates, not only in the state, but in the country. And, uh, you know, from an education standpoint, from the, from the standpoint of the school district, um, you know, people don't want to live in communities that have tax rates that are that high. And so um, the more middle class people and upper middle class people move out of the district because of the high tax rates, the lower your tax base is. And from a long-term perspective, the lot fewer resources you have to run the school district. And on the other hand, um, you know, you can't lower the taxes too low because then you can't run a quality school district, and the quality school district then affects people's abilities. So this is all interrelated to me, and it's not one thing or the other. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying – from my personal perspective is that we are constantly trying to balance the needs of the taxpayers or the needs of the school district – uh, the needs of children, the needs of the adults, the needs of um, parents, the needs of staff, the needs of taxpayers, and it all ends up being interrelated, and you just you just try to strike the best balance that you can. Uh, we had in Rockford, unfortunately, with a recession um, that hit in 2008, it hit our property values um, very hard, and our the district um, levies a tax, which is just a number, and it's levied on what's called the equalized assessed valuation within the district. And the equalized assessed valuation from its high point in 2008 has dropped about $800 million. And that has not really come back. And so even though 
we have kept our, we've actually lowered our levy from that, from 2011. Um, we're actually taxing fewer, our, our actual levy, the actual number of dollars that we levy to tax is lower than it was in 2010. Um, but because it gets levied against a lower value of property, the rate went up. Uh, we're slowly, very slowly starting to see the value of properties go up again. And as we hold the line on the levy, then the rate's starting to come down again. So you, you talked about holding the line on the levy, uh, not only the Rockford Public School Board, uh, other taxing bodies uh, also participating in that. You, you mentioned you have been on the board since 2011. What would you say, Tim, has been, you know, your, what would you say as a board, uh, your biggest accomplishment so far that you've been here? I would say at this point that the biggest accomplishment has been to, and I guess the general way I would say it is to run a more professional organization. Um, when we, when I got on the board in 2011, I found what appeared to me to be a pretty low-functioning organization and in, in many different ways. Um, you know, the facilities hadn't been touched in, in and I, I don't mean years, I mean decades, other than building a, um, three new schools under the People Who Care lawsuit. The rest of the facilities have been ignored. Um, the IT um, was in such bad, the information to, our information technology systems were, was in such bad shape that teachers couldn't really use them effectively in the classroom. And they were, from an operation standpoint, um, it was hard to use them from an operation standpoint. Um, we, when I got on the board, was the year that the administration was projecting a $40 million deficit and ended up with a $10 million surplus, which is a $50 million swing. Um, which then causes a lack of trust by everybody in our numbers. Um, every time it seemed like we turned over a rock, there was something under the rock. And we have spent a considerable amount of time and energy trying to um, get a better managed organization in place. And to the extent that we've seen accomplishments, I'm never going to say that we're where I think we should be because I think there's always going to be need for improvement. And there are, you know, there are still issues in some of these areas, um, but we are light years ahead of where we were when I got on the board in 2011. And now I would really like to see those improvements in how we operate flow through to student achievement, which is the next big rock that we need to tackle. And along those same lines, um, um, you know, for people who are going to listen to this and, and listen to this, this podcast and uh, what, what, what do you want them to know? The, the, what is the most important thing, you know, Tim Rollins, uh, the individual, the school board member, uh, the parent, uh, the, the husband? Uh, what, what is it that you care the most about as it relates to the Rockford Public School System? Well, what I care most about is the student achievement, and we're not anywhere near where I want to see us. And I'm, I'm disappointed that we haven't made more progress. I think we're starting to have conversations now and starting to implement processes and some of the work that we've been doing. You know, one of the other things I, met, I, I didn't mention before is th this district had not had a, a unified, integrated curriculum top to bottom for as long as anybody can remember. And we're, f we're finally doing the hard work to do that. Um, I 
really hope that this hard work that we've been doing is going to start paying off in terms of student achievement because that's really what this is all about. At the end of the day, we can make people feel better about the school district, but we need to make sure that we actually get children in this district. And the phrase that we use, and it's a good phrase, is college and career ready. Um, we need to up our graduation rate significantly, and we need to do that without um, giving up on the rigor so that when kids, when we hand them a piece of paper, they are actually ready to go to college or get a job. One of the things that I think people inside our organization sometimes don't understand is um, all of the, you know, we use the, we use the term stakeholders, but all the people out there who who pay attention to what happens in the school district, who rely on uh, things that happen in the school district, uh, who are who are our success is tied to lots of different audiences out there who, you know, get their information about the school district in many different ways, have many thoughts and perceptions about the people and the work that goes on inside the school district. Um, what do you think is one of the big misconceptions that people have about uh, what happens inside of a school building, inside of you know the administration? Uh, what do you think of some of those misconceptions that people have that they may not be aware of? Hmm, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think that we still have misconceptions about safety based upon some of the some of um, past incidents. Uh, I would say that one of the things, and and I'll give the administration credit for this, that it's worked very hard and made a lot of progress in improving the phrase that gets used in education is building climate, but that doesn't mean the temperature of the building. It, it means really how safe the building is, how safe people feel. Um, and we've made terrific strides. And I think the people who actually send their kids to the public schools um, mostly feel, and we see this in our survey data, um, feel that the schools are safe and that their children are safe in those schools. Uh, but you still get that perception, I think, from people who don't send their kids to the public schools that the, somehow that the public schools are not safe. Um, you know, on the uh, the in terms of the administration, you know, one of the things that we've been working pretty hard culturally to change um, the Rockford Public Schools for and again decades, I think, had, had were pretty much top down driven, um, where just edicts would come from the top. And then there was very little buy-in from the people who were actually needed to implement those edicts. Um, so what we've been working on and what I've seen the administration working on is a more collaborative approach with teachers uh, to get their input on the front end and actually listen to them and incorporate their feedback and try to make sure that we've got that input, that buy-in from them on the front end. Um, so I think that I'm, I'm seeing a much more collaborative approach out of the administration than I think that was true in this district for decades. So speaking of that, uh, so being in a position to be being in a position to be one of the bosses uh, of the superintendent, one of the people who oversee his performance. You've talked about, you know, they, they, you've seen some success in terms of a collaborative approach. 
Uh, you mentioned some other things uh, that they're doing in terms of kind of trying to integrate literacy. Um, you know, how do you think, and, and obviously you've talked about your disappointment uh, that we have not, uh, that the administration has not gone further or have, have had uh, as much success as you would have liked to have seen at this point as relates to student achievement. But having said that, how do you think uh, that Dr. Jared and his team, how they've, how they've done so far? I think he, I think they're doing some things very well, and I think that when it on the when it comes to student achievement, uh, the the jury's still out on that one, and I, you know I, I think that's where the focus needs to be. The board has actually been very clear that that's where they want the focus to be, and so we need to start focusing on moving the needle on student achievement. And so again, talking about this collaborative approach. Um, Obviously, you know, in a a district, a school district with, I believe, that has seven collective bargaining units um, in in many different areas. What's what's that challenge like when, um, you know, obviously um, that's a big part of, of, you know, you're going through these negotiations through the periodically uh, trying to get very important work done. Um, When, you know, sometimes when those things come up. And it gets contentious back and forth, uh, you know, you, with union rhetoric and administration and school board rhetoric. Um, when those things are going on and happening, uh, what's going through your mind, and what do you what is what is what do you want to relay? What type of message do you want to relay to the general public when some of those contentious uh, negotiations are going on? I guess just from a general standpoint, I would relay that a similar theme to what I talked about before. We are constantly trying to perform a balancing act among different interests, um, which include the interests of our employees. And so one of the things that we always do whenever we're doing negotiations is look at comparables in comparably situated um, districts. And when we form our positions, when we go into negotiations, um, those positions are based on what we see comparably situated districts doing. Um, and some of those are, are the local districts that surround us, and some of us, some of that is um, districts of similar size and with similar demographics around the state. Um, but that's, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, we're not going to get away from it. We do have seven bargaining units. It seems like we're always bargaining with somebody, and uh, I, I do sometimes wish we could spend that time and energy talking about how to improve student achievement, but that's, I mean, that's not going to happen. So we'll just have to do it. We have to, it's part, part of the, um, part of the role. Um, a couple more questions, Tim. So we, we know, on, again, you've, uh, and I appreciate just your candor around, um, the, you know, the need to, to, for student achievement, right? Cause that's why we're here, right? We want kids to be successful. And, uh, we still, the, the community, uh, uses varying metrics uh, in terms of how they define success, right? So whether that's uh, graduation rates, uh, whether that's um, uh, the number of kids who are on track, uh, but certainly standardized testing plays a role in how uh, certain people in our community view how a school district is doing in the health of a school district. Uh, we know coming up here, there's going to be some data coming out. I think the next school report card is due out uh, sometime in October. And I think it's, it's going to be some tough news for the Rockford Public Schools in terms of uh, achievement and, and how some of our schools look. 
Um, so when that, you know, and then the media is going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to portray it and, and report on that. And uh, it, it, you know, kind of gets everyone in anxiety, you know, when, so when that, when that happens and when those tough stories come out, particularly around uh, achievement and, or the lack thereof, you know, what is it, uh, what type of context do you think you as a board member can add uh, for those folks who have, um, you, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the emotion is uh, at that time, whether it's disappointment or anxiety or optimism or hopelessness, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on how, uh, how do you, how do you think that should be viewed in the proper context? Well, it's a tough one because I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in our, our test scores as well. Um, you know, you, you can, you can say that standardized testing is wrong, but the reason standardized testing exists in the first place is because there was a general sense, I think, throughout the country that there were no metrics for determining whether schools were being successful or not. And that's how we ended up with standardized testing. Um, when I look at standardized testing, what I try to do is look at how we're doing compared with comparable school districts based on comparable demographics. And, um, you know, I don't think our, the news for us is all that good even when I try to do that. So uh, I, I think for the context that I would provide is that I think we're starting to implement the things that we need to do as this district to move the district forward and start moving that needle. And I, like many other people, are interested in seeing that needle start to move. So Tim, before we, uh, you know, have my, my last question, um, I just want to make sure I give you an opportunity. Again, uh, I, I want to say thank you. I pre really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be here and uh, to you know, have this discussion with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so I just want to make sure that, uh, again, uh, is there anything else that you would like to say or you want to say hello to anybody or anything <laughs> you want to convey or anything that we you feel that we didn't cover uh, that you would like to just share again with those who are going to hear this podcast? Well, thank, uh, th first off, thanks for having me, Earl. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been interesting, um, been thought-provoking. Thought um, the Rockford Public Schools is the largest employer in Winnebago County, and depending on what happened, is happening with the Chrysler plant, it's often the largest in the region. Um, it's a large entity. It's uh, almost 5,000 people. And it is not going to change overnight, unfortunately. Um, I I've, try I've to be patient. Uh, I try to ask people to be patient. And uh, I hope they'll continue to be patient. I think we are at least moving in the right direction. And I think we're you know, starting to see some progress. And I, I certainly hope, along with everyone else, that that continues. Well, thank you. All right, my last one. This is a question I ask everybody. Um, you know, before I do though, I, I do I do want to ask you one more question. Um, just just again, because I know you talk to lots of people uh, in in the community. Um, so I'm I'm curious though, when you're talking to people in the community, you know, what what type of questions do you get from your constituents? What what are the what are people asking you? What are they most curious about? So honestly, when I'm out in the community and talking to people who aren't necessarily school people. It's mostly taxes. 
the most the most complaints that I hear about are taxes. And you know the the other thing I'll add we didn't I didn't mention it before but if you asked if I wanted to add anything else we get the smallest percentage of the taxes of the tax bill of any school district in the region. The Rockford School District gets 52% of the total taxes and in some of the surrounding regions that's closer to 70%. And so there is this belief that is still lingering that it still relates back to the people who care lawsuit that the high taxes in Rockford that the high tax rate is all the fault of the school district and we're not even the highest tax rate of the school, of the school districts in the region um, we're still a little bit high but um, we're not the highest and the tax issue that we've got here is not a school district issue alone certainly and possibly not even a school district issue at all um, we have 11 taxing bodies in Rockford and um, at some point, people have to start holding those other taxing bodies accountable. That's good information. I, just, I agree with you. I just think a lot of people just don't think of it in those terms or really even know that information exists. Last questions. Top three, my top three. Tim, you're, we can say you're stranded on a desert island, but if you are, which, what's, movie, what's the movie you want to see? What's your favorite movie of all time? I don't really have favorites. You don't have a favorite movie? Is What's one that you really like? Uh, I've always liked Pleasantville. Okay. I've always liked Silverado for a completely different reason. It was one of the last <laughs> good westerns that came out. Um, okay, that's good. That's good. That's, I asked for one. You gave me two. Thank you. Uh, uh, you it's, it's, it's Father's Day or whatever important day it is, and your favorite food, if your meal, is it a restaurant? Is it a dish? I mean, what can you eat consistently that you enjoy? Oh, if it's Father's Day, I'd probably go for a filet. Nice. Filet. That always works good. And then the last one, uh, while you're eating your filet, uh, what, which, what, uh, do you have a favorite musician or a musical group that you're going to, that you're going to pop in, the, in, in your CD player? <laughs> hmm. No, that one I'm not sure I can answer. <laughs> That's okay. I appreciate it. Tim Rollins, ladies and gentlemen, Subdistrict B, thank you for being on the 205 Vibe podcast. And again, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the 205 Vibe podcast. Please join us for our next episode. If you'd like to comment on the show, please call us at 815-490-4117. Leave us a voice message and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening.